from summer into the fall, what the Bible says about the church and how we can be the church that God so wants us to be and, 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 and to be in line with his will and to, to really honor him, ultimately, to honor and glorify him. And yet, one of the challenges in, in being the church is that sometimes the church, we get so familiar with church and how we, quote-unquote, do church, that sometimes in the routineness of it, unintentionally, we may drift. And we may even lose sight of why we're even here. You ask yourself that question this morning? Why'd you come today? Right? What's your motive? What's the purpose of the church? What's, what, what are we supposed to be about? Because if, if we're not clear about what we're supposed to be about, we can expend a lot of time, energy, and resources and wonder if we ended up where we were supposed to be. Right? There's illustration of the guy who spent his whole life climbing the corporate ladder, so to speak. He climbed the corporate ladder, got to the top, and found out he was leaning against the wrong building. <laughs> right? So as a church, we can expend a whole lot of stuff and climb the spiritual corporate ladder, so to speak, and at the end find out we missed it. What? What? What were we supposed to be about? And that's what we've been spending all these weeks on because we want to be clear. We want to be very clear in our purpose for gathering. We don't just gather on Sundays biblical. It's, you know, it, it, just because, right? In fact, your coming to church should be more than just because it's what we do. Now, it's a discipline. It should be a discipline. It should be a commitment. You should drive the stake in the ground. And, you know, it's just because. Well, I'm a believer. I need to be there. But just because you've always done it, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful with that, right? And sometimes, if we're not clear on a purpose, then we forget the big picture and we lose sight of the big picture and we focus so much on maybe the near term and we maybe accomplish a near term goal. And then you go, now what? I remember growing up, uh, I've shared with you, and our goal. Right, which was God bless my parents, they wanted the best for us, but our goal was to do well in junior high and high school and get to a good college. So we did the honors, we did stuff, sent out all the applications. Uh, you know, I got accepted to USC, UCLA, San Diego State, all of them, right? And I picked one and I, you know, I went to UCLA and celebration, woo woo, right? Da, 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 da. And here's the crazy thing. I didn't realize that unknowingly I was so focused and so consumed with the quote-unquote career goal of getting into a good college that once I got to the good college, I had no clue what I was supposed to do after. I got there, and then they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, I'm here. And it's hard because you can only be undeclared for so many years. And then you got to make a decision, right? And, and it, was, it, was, it was tough. It was challenging because it had been ingrained in me. The end game was to get into college. College was not portrayed to me as part of a bigger life 
goal, life purpose. And so I, I was just treading water. Then I was just lost because I had never thought of the, last, the next 50 years of my life. I was ready to retire because I got into the school. I mean, it's weird. Retirement isn't an age. It's a mindset. So when you, uh, when you pour in all this effort and you get the goal, you... Right? And sometimes in church, we can work really hard and do church really well. And you go, now what? Now what? We moved here in June. We've had about 120% growth. Great getting to know you this summer. Now what? Right? And, and, it, and it's challenging if you're not clear on your bigger purpose. See, if we had been consumed, just get there. Just get to a new building. Just get to a new, new facility. Just welcome new people. Okay, check, 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 check. It's October 29th. Now what? Retire. Probably just like in a cycle. Now it's just, just what we do. Is it going to be same old, same old routine, you know, the annual, oh, it's the Mission Sunday, nothing wrong with missions, oh, the kids are singing, oh, nothing wrong, right? Are we going to get into this church cycle? Is that, we've arrived and now we just cycle, right? And I've been in church doing this for 20 plus years, and I know you guys are sharp. I know you, I know the congregation, so you time, you know the cycle, honey, it's that youth Sunday. They're very loud. Should we not go that Sunday? I know. I know. We get in this weird cycle because sometimes we forget what are we supposed to be doing? What's the bigger purpose in all this? You know, and, 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 and here's the thing. If you're not clear on that, not only can you fall into rut and routine, then emotionally it affects you. Well, it's Sunday. Got to go to the well when three months ago you were lit. You were excited. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I know, but, you know, they, they sing one, two, three, three songs beforehand so we could sneak in at 1015 after the music. And been there, done that. Purpose. What, why are we gathering? That's why we spent all these weeks because, believe me, God has a bigger plan than just going through the motions. Amen? This is his church. He's alive and well. In the last three or four months, we have seen God do incredible things in your lives. Many of you. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that. Because he's doing things here in and through you. And we look forward to many years with you together as a church family. As long as we stay true to his purpose. True to his purpose. And so in First Peter, Peter is speaking to the church. Now, in this case, it's not like the book of Philippians where he's speaking to Christians in a specific location. Peter is speaking to, if you look at First Peter 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So Peter is speaking to, I love this, the church. 
He's speaking to believers who are scattered in five, five regions, what we would call modern Turkey. So it's a letter to believers, the church. And we're going to focus today on 1 Peter 2, verse 9, because it's going to help us. Maybe some of us are in a funk. Maybe some of us have slid into, well, what, what am I supposed to be doing? Right? Is going to church the end game? Is reading my Bible and doing stuff, is that the end game? Is, is, is following Jesus just about doing stuff and we've arrived if we're doing the right stuff? Right? Because if that's your, 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 your view of Christianity, you're not much different than me when I arrived at UCLA. Okay, I'm giving. Check. Uh, serve. Check. Weekly attendance. Check. Go to Tuesday night, bonus. Go to men's group, bonus. Right? And so we get this whole thing and all our checklists of doing, and suddenly we're like, okay, I'm in. See, is that what we're supposed to do is, is welcome you in and get you busy? And a lot of people view church, right? Come on in and let's just get you busy. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. First Peter 2, look at 9. First Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Amen? That's you. That's winning team stuff. Amen? Who's he talking to? The church, which means believers. So if you're a believer, that's you as you sit here. Amen? All right. Let's get again. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people belonging to God. Woo! Amen? Right? We have looked at other verses that tell us who we are in Christ the last several weeks. Remember Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. So if you're a believer this morning, say with conviction, I am a citizen of heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. Right? 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 John 1.12 says this. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you're a believer this morning, you're a child of God. So if that's you, say it. Say it with conviction. I'm a child of God. God. All right. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So this morning, if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. So you can say it with conviction. I am a new creation. There you go. Let's go have donuts and coffee. Here you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What are you supposed to do with that now? What's next? You see? Because if you don't know the purpose of your identity in Christ, you can inadvertently turn these beautiful truths into a self-centered, self-serving thing. Where it's all about me. And so, hey, just keep telling me all the good stuff. How else does God feel about me? Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Yeah, name in heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so we're not, any, nothing wrong with the truth except when the truth becomes about me only. Okay, there's a difference between celebrating who we are in Christ and becoming self-centered and self-serving. 
about who we are in Christ. Now, what's really challenging in this is that some churches have, you know, they call it the prosperity gospel. And what they've done is they draw lots of people because they will tell you that it is all about you. It is all about you. And God's just here to give you everything you want. And so in a, in a sort of a coming to get, to get, to get, to hear how much God wants to bless me. And it's me and it's me and it's me. And that just kind of flips the whole gospel upside down. What are we supposed to do with these fabulous, eternal, biblical truths about who we are in Christ? Let's keep reading. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That. Everyone say that. If you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, underlining, that simple word that I'm guessing you and I just skipped right over. How many of you have ever highlighted the word that ever? That. Right? Now, if you've been with us and we looked at this verse a few years ago, you probably still have it highlighted. The word that is crucial, not just to this passage, but to how you and I perceive church, perceive our purpose, right? That word, that, is what they call a term of purpose. It's a term of purpose. It gives an explanation. It answers the question... So what? What's your point? Because a lot of times we'll come to church to get something. Boy, I hope the sermon's good. I hope I get something out of it. I hope the music's good. I hope I get something out of it. Well, according to this passage, the biblical truths listed in the first half, they're not designed for you just to get something. There's a purpose. Look at the purpose. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God for the purpose of what? Declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Now, some versions say showing the excellencies. That word declare means to advertise. To make known his qualities, his characteristics, the, thing that makes, that the things that make God excellent. So here's the real purpose. You and I are in Christ. All these wonderful truths, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God. For this purpose, to advertise him to the world. You're a walking sandwich board. That's the purpose of of transformation, of becoming more like Jesus. What is the purpose of becoming more like Jesus? To be more like Jesus? Just to be more like Jesus? Oh, look at me. I'm more like Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Nothing wrong with being more like Jesus unless becoming more like Jesus is all about really me. It's real subtle. It's real subtle how becoming more like Jesus is really me and not Jesus. 
The reason we want to be more like Jesus is to make Jesus known. Look at, look at the quote in your bulletin. I love this quote. The top there. The world takes its notions of God, most of all, from the people who say they belong to God's family. They read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. They see us. They only hear about Jesus Christ. Ooh. Wow. Wow. If you were here a few years ago, I forget how many. I think I don't even know if we were still on Saturday nights over at the Wesleyan Church. We were teaching on this about advertising who Jesus is by our life. Not just our words, by our life. And you know those name tags that says, hello, my name is? You know those? I don't know if some of you, maybe Ernie, you remember. My name is Christian. And I passed them out in the bulletins. And I said, put them on. And then I said, when church was done, okay, if you're brave enough, keep it on. Wherever you go after church, wear the name tag that says, hello, my name is Christian. Really? Right? I did that with the worship team one time. We used to practice at night, and, and I made it name tags. I said, hello, my name is worship leader. And we walked to bliss wearing name tags. Because suddenly you're out there. You're exposed. You're saying something. And now you're accountable to a higher degree. Right? And so our overarching purpose is to declare, to advertise accurately who God is. So if you're wondering, what's my meaning in life? Where do I get purpose? Where do I get significance? I'm busy in church, but is this all church is? No. When you come here, when God speaks to you about areas in your life and in my life, and when you go do that, you know what you're doing? Declaring his praise. You're declaring his praise. See? It's not about who's up here on this side of the mics. It's about we declare his praise by our life. By our life, right? If we keep reading down, look what it says. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. How many of you want to glorify God in your life? How many of you who raised your hand are not sure what that means? Thank you. Right? Glorify God. Okay, yeah. I agree. What does that mean? I haven't the slightest idea. But I want it, right? And if, we, and if we're not clear on the definition of glorifying God, we can actually misdefine it by, yeah, I glorify God because I just don't do a lot of bad stuff. And then our Christianity is skewed towards avoiding all the bad stuff. That glorifies God. Well, yeah, it does. But you're missing it. Defined as don't do bad things. That is not to glorify God. To glorify God, let me give you the definition. 
To glorify God is a word doxazo, which means to give others a proper opinion of God. To so manifest his person through your life that others will clearly see him through you. To give a correct opinion, a correct estimate of who God is. You remember in John, Philip says, hey, Jesus, show us the Father. And what does Jesus say? Philip, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You guys, one of the reasons Jesus was sent, it says he was full of grace and truth. Jesus was sent to this planet to give us humans an understanding of who God is. Now, he came to seek and save the lost, and we tend tend to focus on Jesus and his mission in the gospel. In the gospel of the cross. But you have to understand, Jesus was sent as an incarnation of God to demonstrate who God is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Question. When people see you and people see me, what do they see about the Father? What do they see about being a Christian? It gets, oh man. You ever have someone who professes to be a Christian and yet by their lifestyle you kind of cringe? And you're like, you know, I love you, but you're not doing the church a favor right now. Because you're professing one thing, you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, and your life, it's not, it's, it's not consistent. There's an inconsistency here, right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He gives us all these incredible truths about our identity in Christ so that we can glorify him, which means to accurately portray him in our life, not just what comes out of our mouth, right? Turn to Romans. Look at an example in Romans, Romans 2. So you're going to go to your left a few books. It's after the book of Acts, before Corinthians, Romans 2.17. This is a powerful example, kind of one of those ouch examples, of people who profess to have a relationship with God, and yet their actions are actually hurting, actually hurting the name of God. Romans 2.17, let's read it together. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, what is superior because you are instructed by the law. If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Ouch! Ouch! Here's a group of of Jews that are saying, yeah, we are so tight with God. We love his word, right? We're in. We got this relationship. And yet, Paul is calling them out. He says, hey, guys, God's name is being blasphemed. 
Blaspheme is to speak harm to, to defame, to bring into ill repute. He says, hey, you who profess to be following the law, you who profess to have this relationship with God, by the way you're living, you're dragging God's name through the mud. That's heavy. That's heavy. Right? And it's a check on us who profess to be Christians, followers of Christ. Does our life glorify God's name or does our life drag his name through the mud? You know that that song, what a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Right? What a wonderful name it is. Does your life, does my life reflect that? That's a check. That's a check. That's the church being the church. That's the church being the church outside of these walls. Right? Now, it's not all bad news because turn to 2 Corinthians, and here's a wonderful example. 2 Corinthians 9, the Corinthian church. With all their imperfections and all the stuff going on in that crazy church, they did some pretty cool stuff. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul says, well done. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12. The Corinthian church had given generously, financially, to the saints in Jerusalem. Okay, that's all they did. They gave financially to help the saints in need in Jerusalem. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will what? Praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Did you catch that? They're being obedient. Their conduct is matching their creed. And the apostle Paul says, Woo-hoo! you know what? People are going to praise God. Because of your actions. Not you. God. That's so awesome. See, that's the purpose. Let me give you a clue here. We are not about doing things around the well so that anyone in this community says, oh, man, that well. Oh, man, those people at the well. No, no. No. (laughs) What we do around here, our heart is that people would praise him. When we expend time, money, and effort to go build a house in Mexico, we want the people in Mexico to know that there's a God of compassion, a God of love, a God of sacrifice. We want them to know God. If we give people trees and minister to needs, we want them not to pat the well on the back. We want them to know that there's a God who cares. We want them to know that there's a God of compassion. We want them to know that there's a God who knows their situation and they're not alone. Everything we do here as a church is designed to point people to God. Even the way we do this. The Bible says God is a God of order, so we have order. We don't just do church like this because we're supposed to. The way we even order our service is designed to reflect God to you. That he is a God of order. The songs we pick, 
the reverence with which we worship is all designed to point you to God, that he is worthy of worship, that he is a God of love, that you can raise your hands to him, that he loves you. Everything we do here on a Sunday morning is designed not to point you to us, to come back to us, but to point you to him, to point you to him. That's what we're about. We're just about, as John says, giving it away. We just want to give it away here. We want you to give, we want to give the gospel away. We want to give our lives away in agape love, not to get the accolades, but to you to know Jesus. And by golly, if he chooses to use us with the diversity of gifts here and the diversity of personalities in our imperfections, praise him. Amen? Here. Now, do people like coming and you guys are so friendly and you're so nice and you have donuts and coffee and, and now you got this flavored stuff and I get that. It's beautiful. It's all part of it. But woe to us if this place ever becomes an idol. Woe to us if we become more concerned about this place than about people. Amen? This past Wednesday, we had youth ministry in here. In here. The chairs were stacked and put against the wall. You know what the teenagers of the valley were doing? Throwing dodgeballs in here. Yeah. And like four or five of them went through the sound booth at me and Bill. And we sat in there and we're like, thank you, Lord. Look at the kids that are here having a great time. And he got up on a ladder and put a nail in that beam and they hung a pinata. You can do that? It's God's building. He's ministering to the youth of the valley. It's okay. We want them to know that, yeah, God loves you. Come here. You know, I'm cranking music in the back, and, you know, I get to be the sound guy, so I get to play, you know, all kinds. But we're, it's not us. We want kids and teens and junior highs and high schoolers to come here and go, man, I didn't know you could do that. I thought Christianity was just a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts. I thought, I, you know, I thought it was just, and I come here and, you know, the senior pastor is wearing a hat and shorts and playing rap music. What? I had no clue that you could do that as a believer. Yeah, we want them to know there's freedom in Christ. We want them to know the love of God and the freedom that we have around here. It's not a license to sin. It's freedom in Christ. Just to love him freely and to give it all away. To give it all away, right? That's challenging. It's challenging. Because if we're going to live lives that praise him, that glorify him, okay, that accurately portray him, here's the thing. that, That can be tough. And here's why. Because it requires us to be honest and have a great deal of humility that maybe there's an area or two in my life that isn't glorifying him. That isn't accurately presenting who he is. We can get defensive. We can almost get angry. And, and the truth is we're just missing it. So if we want to live lives that, that declare his praise, if we want to live lives that glorify him, I want to give you some helps in, in how to do that. 
Number one, you gotta be, you gotta kind of go at this with humility. Humility. Which means be honest with yourself. Yeah, be honest. Okay? And what do you mean by that? You may have to spend some time and say, Lord, is there an area or areas in my life that even inadvertently I'm not glorifying you? Maybe there are areas you know right now that aren't glorifying to him that you just know are flat out wrong and sinful and you need to just confess and repent to that. But sometimes I have found, mostly in the church, it's being willing, being willing to step outside yourself and look at yourself objectively and say, Lord, show me me. Not in a harsh, condemning way, because we remember who we are in Christ, Amen. But in a loving way, Lord, I do want to glorify you. Lord, I do want all areas of my life to be in line and, and properly manifest you. Is there something in my life that I'm missing? And that takes humility, right? And it takes some effort. I'm here a lot during the week. And usually I come down this road in the mornings during the week after I drop off my, my daughter at school. Sometimes what I'll do is I won't come into the lot here. I'll go to the street right here, and I'll turn right. And I intentionally do that because I want to say, I wonder what the neighbors see. I want, I want to see our church through their eyes, right? So I did that again this week, and I went down. It's early morning, and I drive, and I drive to the cul-de-sac, and I drive with a critical eye, like I'm a, like I'm a, a neighbor, Right? And so I did the loop, and I looked, saw some stuff down there. I'm like, okay, right? Anybody here ever ride Amtrak to San Diego, right? Isn't it interesting at a certain part as you go through L.A., you go through the backs, you see the back of all the businesses where they hide all the stuff, right? And I remember the first time I'm like, hey, here's where all the stuff is that everyone tries to hide. How many of you in your house have a backyard full of the stuff, you have a closet, stuff, visitors come, don't go there. Anyone? Right? So it's like Amtrak, right? I'm like, oh, here's, you know, because on the front of the businesses, it looks all clean and come on. Oh, look at all their junk, right? So I go back there and I, I drive and I'm like, what is this cul-de-sac? And, you know, there, we used to keep um, ladders and a wheelbarrow on the other side of these sheds. And I was like, Ty, we got to get rid of that because from them, that's what they see first is a ladder and wheelbarrow. I'm like, I don't really want I don't want them to get the idea that, oh, great, we got the Amtrak view of the church. <laughs> We're going to see where the church stashes everything. That's what I want to wake up to, right? So I come back, and I'm driving up here on, I think it was Tuesday, and I get right here, right? This hedge right here. And I go, oh, my God. Because 99% of the time around here, I go in and out of this door, and I'll come into the lot. So I'll come in out of this door, and from this door, this is beautiful. This is great. We even have a street sweeper come through. Thank you, Garrett. Once a week on his Ojai route, we have a street sweeper. Ken's wife do a great job in this lot, in this lot, looking this way. Great. The crazy thing this week Three feet on the other side of the hedge. 
I'm like, oh my gosh, stuff growing taller than me on the other side of the hedge, three feet on the other side of the hedge. There's like this tumbleweed blocking the sidewalk. So we're like, dude, we're awesome, aren't we? And those people are like, why can't they get their act together? And I was so tempted. I texted Tyler was out of town. I'm like, Tyler, what guy said they'd help? Because I saw this and it hit me. And he's like, he gave up you, Matt. It's like, Matt said he'd help do landscaping. I'm like, ah, I was so close to calling you, bro. But, but I'm like, no, I'm just going to leave it. It has bugged me for 48 hours. It bugged me so much. I was here last night prepping. And I took my wife. I said, we drove. You got to see this. And she's like, what? Yeah, I mean, from here. It's like taller than me. There's, look, the neighbor's driving into their, he's parking. He's he's going into his house going, oh, gosh. All those cars and no one can, no, I'm just messing with you. He's there, though. The point is this. When I stepped out of us and our perspective, and I looked at it from outside in. Ugh. Kind of like life, if we step out and you're willing to look at it, is there some overgrown stuff that you just didn't see because you're celebrating your perspective? You live here. I live here. I come in this. Once or twice a week, once every two weeks, I'll go down the road just to make sure we're not, you know, on their bad side. It takes honesty. And then when you see it, you've got to do something about it. you got to do something about it. So there's, there's an element, if we're going to live lives that honor God, you have to be willing to be honest with yourself. Step out. That may include, okay, guys, it may include... Asking some people that you trust. Finding one, two, whatever, brothers and sisters in the Lord or or dear friends that you know love you, that you know want the best for you. But you will ask them this, hey, what do you see in my life? Is there anything in, in my life my walk with Jesus that I might be blind to, that I'm not seeing anymore. Anybody that happens, you are going to get it fixed. But four months later, you don't even see it anymore. Right? Well, that kind of happens with the spiritual stuff in our life. We get used to it, and then we do workarounds, then we just don't see it anymore. And sometimes what we need is input, honest input from people that we trust. Hey, I give you permission. I know you love me. What do you see? Is there something I'm missing? And that's tough because when someone says something, we want to self-justify. We can get defensive. We can, oh, that's not what I feel. That's not my intention. But I feel like I'm right. Okay, But you ask me what I see. You ask me to be honest. You ask me to speak the truth in love. Years ago when I was at community, 
we ran junior high and high school youth nights back to back, and it was a lot. We would have 40, 50 kids each night, and I was consumed. I'm, I'm kind of a project guy, and I would just be consumed with running the program, blah, 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 with worship, teaching, games, da, 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 da. And I'm consumed with all these kids that are coming, and I'm celebrating it, and I'm thinking things are going well. You know what happened? Can we meet? Uh, okay. And someone wanted to meet with me of the kids and they came in and they said well we know you work hard around here but I, I, I think I want to share something with you if it's okay um, does anyone ever get nervous when someone says that to you <laughs> like okay the kids think you're unapproachable what are you talking about I'm here at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, two hours setting up. I go home at 10 o'clock when the last of them get picked up. They have games. They have snack. This is better than Hume Lake. I'm unapproachable? You see? See, at that point, I I, I had to make a decision. I was going to get defensive. I was going to self-justify. I was going to argue my way. Or I could just say, Lord... Am I? Am I coming across that way? Am I so program-driven and so so task-driven that the very kids, the very teens that I'm supposed to be loving to Jesus are scared to come talk to me? Go figure! Come! Jesus loves you, has a plan for your life. Just don't bug me while you're here. Man, that youth pastor, can't even talk to him, he's so busy. I mean, right? So I had to get over my bad self, my pride, my ego, all my effort, all my good intentions. And I said, okay, that was tough. It was tough. No one likes to hear stuff like that, even though it's true. And So it took me a while, to, first of all, to settle down. And I said, okay, Lord, show me how to do this different. What do I have to do differently? And I implemented some changes to, to get some stuff done. So, and then intentionally, intentionally, when the kid showed up to be with them, I had to be intentional about it. I had to make an action plan and work through my action plan, which required change. Same thing with us. If we're going to honor God in our lives, do you, do I have people in our life that you give permission to say, hey, can I share something with you? I love you. I know you love Jesus. I'm not trying to tear you down and break you down, but can I share something with you because I love you? This is what I'm seeing. This is how you... I. This is how your kids are perceiving you. This is how your spouse is perceiving you or whatever it might be. Because it's not rub people the wrong way or drive people away or be unapproachable. But sometimes we're just human. Amen? And with the best of intentions, we just don't see things. They're called blindsides. Remember that movie Blindside? Right? Blindside was about a quarterback. Quarterback stands like this. Most important position on the line is the left tackle over there. Because the left tackle protects the quarterback's blind side. He's over here wanting to pass. There's a defensive 
player who wants to hurt him and tackle him, but it's his blind side. He doesn't see it. We all have blind sides. The question is, do you have someone on that side of you who wants to protect you and love you? And you're willing to say, what do you see? What do you see? And you, and you receive it. There's a lot of good things happening in the church. And I was sharing the vision with the, a good brother of mine. And he was celebrating it. But you know what he said to me? He said, Richie, I'm so happy for you and, and, and the vision God has put in, in the leadership for the future, where we're heading. He goes, but I'm concerned. And this is what he said to me. We had just got done celebrating everything God's doing and where we're going. He goes, but I'm concerned because I know you. And you can drive yourself into the ground. So I'm concerned. And we had a wonderful talk about things I could put in place in my own life to stay healthy, to keep my priorities right with my family and not drive myself into the ground trying to serve God. But see, he's, he's comfortable enough for me to say, I'm concerned. Because I know you. And that's been a relationship that's been forged over a lot of years to get to that place. And I've had to give him permission. They say, hey man, if you see something, I give you permission to speak freely. And he does. He does. Because he loves me. And I encourage you, find somebody. Find someone that will speak freely. And might just lovingly say, I'm concerned. And I'm like, well, really? What, what are you seeing? What's going on? You know? And you'll receive it. You'll receive it. Tyler and Bill and I, as we've been processing God's vision for the future of the church, we brought in uh, Pastor Michael, who you'll get to meet on November 12th. He's going to come and preach. And Michael works with CEOs, and he coaches businessmen and, and churches. And so we brought him here for a day, and a day and a half of really intense leadership vision and eating. We're celebrating all that God's doing. He goes, you guys, that's awesome, 120% growth and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then he got to this one point of, of our time together. And I know, I've known Bill and Tyler like this, almost see them almost every week for seven years. He goes, okay, in this one area, I want you guys to give a letter grade about how you think the leadership is doing in this area. Now, what was really challenging was this letter grade, this area, was one that I was responsible for. And Michael was giving them permission to speak freely. And it got quiet. So he asked me. I'm like, A+. Plus. Just kidding about it. <laughs> I think it was a me, though, huh? Because <laughs> it was. <laughs> Just kidding. But theirs wasn't. And that was a test. It, it deepened our relationship as leaders to speak freely about perceptions about what's going on here. And it was all good. But he gave a grade which I still vehemently disagree with. <laughs> I love you too. And Tyler's the peacemaker, so he went in between. <laughs> no, just kidding. They gave honest grades. And it was a bit uncomfortable for me. 
and for them. Right? Who wants to get graded? How many of you are glad when grades were done when, you, when school was over? No more report cards. Hallelujah. And now pastor's asking me to find somebody? Yeah, it's, it's, it's necessary at times. Hey, what do you see? What do you see in my marriage? Hey, what do you see in how I'm raising my kids? Hey, what do you see in my work? Hey, what do you see? It's, it's just inviting. Inviting people in. Inviting people in. Not to condemn you, but to help you. But to help you. Right? Because it's all good. You know why? Because we're on the winning team. In the end. Amen? See, sometimes in church... There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. We all want to be like Jesus. We all want to encourage one another, love one another self-sacrificially, and yet there's this undercurrent of fear. Fear of what people are going to think about me. Fear of failure. Fear of not measuring up to some standard. Right? And I came across this with you because as I read it, I was thinking, I think this is kind of like the church. It's kind of like the church. And, and the article has to do with athletics and the difference between playing to win and playing not to lose. Right? 1 Corinthians 9.24 says run to win. Right? Run to get the prize. And this article says this. They did some research in neuroscience and psychology, and, and they, they, they looked at penalty kicks in soccer. Okay, if you're not familiar with soccer, if the game ends in a tie, they have what are called penalty kicks, right? So each team, what is it called, like five, five from each team, and each one at a time, they, they take turns trying to score a goal, right? And so this research came out regarding performance in penalty kicks, and it's fascinating. They compared two scenarios. First scenario, hey, Vinny, come up here real quick. So, so Vinny, he's going to shoot a penalty kick. His team is down by a goal. Okay, your team is down by a goal. If you miss, your team loses. Okay? Scotty, come here. This is fascinating. Scotty on there, that shooter, okay, he's the last kicker, so he's down a goal. If he misses... His team loses. Scott, on the other hand, it's a tie game. So if he misses, they don't lose. But if he makes it, they win. Who do you think has the higher percentage of success? Scotty. Let me, let me share you. Let me share you. This is, this is amazing. It says, when missing the kick would cause the team to lose, Professional players only converted 62%. When conversion would result in a win, kickers were successful 92% of the time. Same kick, same distance, same target, but a 30% improvement when the player was shooting to win and not shooting not to lose. The point is when athletes are challenged to rise to the occasion, they perform better. Thanks, guys. They perform better... When they're challenged to rise to the occasion, they perform better than when they are threatened to not blow it. So how many of us in our Christian life live our Christian life not to blow it? 
Many of us in our Christian life live under the fear of losing. Blowing it. Ah! How many of us live in true freedom of who we are in Christ? And you're running to win because you are a new creation. You are a citizen of heaven. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You're a chosen generation. You're part of the royal priesthood. Do you get it? If we're going to live lives of doxazo that glorify him, I want to encourage you. Run to win and not to lose. Because here's the thing. Like I said at 10 o'clock, you're on the winning team. Amen? Amen? You're on the winning team. What are you so scared of? What am I so scared of? Why are we so bound up in fear? It's like the men, Sunday nights. Come and just learn what it means to be a godly man and not fear messing up. How many of you are imperfect? Turn to the person next to you and say, you too? (laughs) Look! We all are! So what are we so afraid of? How many of you know you're probably going to blow it before you put your head on your pillow tonight? So what are you afraid of? You see, it's not a license to sin, but dangerously reckless for Jesus. Let her rip in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just go for it. There comes a time in Jesus, you just got to go for it. Accept the fact you're imperfect. Accept the fact you're going to stumble and bumble and two steps forward once. Accept all that. It's called sanctification. But run to win and not to lose. You, see, you understand the difference? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. All right? No. Run to win. Because you're already one. Because you're in Christ. Amen? You're in Christ. What's the worst that can happen? Play it out. Play it out. The enemy loves to get us as believers so twisted in knots. Oh, 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 oh. And we get so paralyzed. I don't know what to do. No, you do know what to do. You're just scared. Well, how do I overcome the fear? Who are you in Christ? Oh, that's right. I'm on the winning team. We win. We win. Come on. How many of you have ever been in sports and you knew before the games? Lack of skill. Anyone? How did you go into that game knowing you were going to win? Confident. You let her. (laughs) Doing all kinds of crazy stuff because you were free. You were free. The devil wants to scare you. The devil just wants to scare you. Remember who you are in Christ. Hold fast to the teaching. Hold fast to Jesus. We win. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us in First Peter that who we are in Christ, the purpose ultimately is to make you known. 
to declare your praise, to glorify you, to accurately portray you to this world that desperately needs Jesus. And so I ask you, Father, to give us a time of reflection now. (sighs) Give us the courage to step out of ourself and to go across the street and look in. Maybe from our perspective, we've sort of missed some overgrown weeds and a messed up. And then, Lord, maybe give us courage. Please give us courage to, to invite others in to speak freely, others that we trust, others that, that aren't just yes men or yes women, but others who would tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, 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 I'm concerned. I'm concerned, and here's my concerns because I love you deeply. And Lord, if we have blind sides and people lovingly call us out, help us not to be defensive. Help us not to self-justify. Help us not to become angry, but to receive correction from you first. And then, Lord, give us the freedom that comes from knowing who we are in Christ, that we are on the winning team, your team. And nobody can snatch us out of your hand. We live in such a performance-driven culture, such a performance-driven society that we have become paralyzed as a church. But you say you give us everything we need for life and godliness. You say we're new creations. You say we're citizens of heaven. You say we're children of God. Well, then by golly, we're going to believe that. And in the power of the Spirit, we're going to blow the lid off the Ohio Valley. Not so people can exalt the well, but that people can exalt Jesus. And we're just going to that are running to win. That are running to win and pointing people to God, left and right, locally and around the world. So through this time of singing and reflection, Lord, speak to our hearts about where we are. Are we humble? Are we honest? Are we running to win?